Today, we're taking a moment to transition between our seasons, to pause and reflect on so many places visited, memories made, communities changed, to share the stories of the people I've met and made friends with around the world, mindful travelers like you and me. These guests have so much credibility and creativity in their own rights, building their own travel and hospitality-focused podcasts and communities, sharing their adventures and areas of expertise with their own audiences. We'll have the pleasure of meeting Chris Kretzer, producer and host of the Nomadic Foodist podcast, Kit Parks, founder and host of the Active Travel Adventures podcast and community, and Adam Cousins, co-founder and co-host of Tripology, the travel podcast. Now let's delve into their stories to see what may inspire our own future travels. Chris, welcome to the show. Happy to have you in our company. Uh, Well, thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. Now, where in the world can we find you today? Right now, I am in Bangkok, Thailand. It is one of my favorite cities in the entire world. And I know it sounds like it's a hotspot for backpackers, the first stop a lot of people make in Southeast Asia. But trust me, it is, it's worth all the hype for sure. I've enjoyed it so far when a couple years ago and back again. Well, and for being such a foodie yourself, I'm sure there's endless possibilities there. Endless. It is wild. In my opinion, I think Bangkok is the most exciting like city for food because you can find everything just about every corner all around the city. That's my favorite way is just walking and smelling and seeing and just all of a sudden craving something. So exactly. that sounds like the perfect environment for that. <laughs> now, if you had to describe what you do for a living to say a child or your grandparents, what would you tell them? I travel the world. I eat food and I tell other people to do the same. And I'm lucky enough to do that right now. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want that job? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's definitely been a journey and it's been fun. And there's a lot of challenges that come with it that a lot of people may not expect. But all in all, it is my dream job. If there's only one thing I could do for the rest of my life, I would do this forever. Well, what a way to see the world. And I always think that food is such a great way to connect to people and to a culture and sitting around that table and having those conversations, even sometimes it doesn't even involve the food itself being the favorite part of that memory, but that's such a neat way to really truly experience an authentic culture. Oh, absolutely. And now with technology, I mean, even with language barriers, you can get pretty far on a conversation, even just using Google translate. And now there are these earbuds you can put in that can translate for you live. I've never used those. I just use Google Translate on my phone, but that's good enough. But yeah, you can just experience something unknown to yourself in just a few minutes and have it be one of the best experiences of your life. That's so neat. Yeah. Great tip there. Now, as you are traveling through Bangkok for the month and you've been traveling for a while now, what does slow travel mean to you personally? Slow travel for me is the opportunity to take my time to sip and to savor every moment the way I want to. Now, slow travel doesn't necessarily mean a certain amount of time, although the more time you have, the better you can do that. However, even just a weekend away, you can still have a slow travel moment where you just experience a place as it is and don't try to make it into something else. And one thing I've been finding out for myself and something I've been telling some other people of mine that that I know is don't try to find yourself in travel just enjoy the place as it is. And for me, that's a lot of what slow travel encompasses. It's just, if it's crazy and chaotic, don't try to fight it. 
enjoy that crazy and chaos with like in Bangkok, motorbikes going everywhere, lots of honking people, you know, on every single corner. And you have to enjoy that for what it is. And then you have some places like Japan, which is the biggest, well, it has some of the biggest cities in the world. Like Tokyo, I think is the biggest city in the world by population. And then you can just stop, enjoy it, even with the hustle and bustle, take your time. And for me, it's food. So to have these meals, to take my time during those meals and to practice some mindfulness where you don't just gobble down the food or for me writing about food, making notes or making videos. It's to enjoy the food as it is and to enjoy that moment as it is. Yes. That's a great, great tip. Don't let the phone eat first all the time. Just actually <laughs> sit and, and savor the, the food itself. I think that that's a great reminder too. I was t- having a conversation the other day about what's the difference between a traveler and a tourist and the idea of really experiencing a place for what it is, you don't have to feel like you fit in there. I feel like there's sometimes this desire that, oh, I have to enjoy this. I have to feel a part of this. But sometimes being out of your comfort zone allows you to realize, okay, this isn't for me, but I'm so glad that I experienced it because it makes me appreciate where I come from or where I'm going next or something like that. So I think every experience you have has that kind of learned moment and for you, a lot of times that might be f- through food. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's when you go to a destination that may not be something that you would 100% enjoy. Like we went to New Delhi and that was probably the most chaotic place I've experienced so far in my life with cows, people, tuk-tuks, bikes, motorbikes, cars, all cramming on the streets. It is a wild ride there. And it's not something I enjoyed that much. I enjoyed the food for sure. And I found those enjoyable moments, but it was a sensory overload. And I think at that point, I was pretty well traveled. I was looking forward to it. And then it just hit me I'm like, this is a tough place, even for me. And you try to find the best things that you can and just enjoy it as much as you can in those moments, slowly. Right, exactly. That's a great challenge to travel slowly in those certain circumstances. Now, speaking of which, what are some ways that you enjoy traveling mindfully, fostering those connections locally? Do you have any stories or tips and tricks that you want to share besides Google Translate, which is a great one? (laughs) Yeah, well, with Google Translate, it's a big one. And even just talking to whoever's making your food can go a long way, even if there's that language barrier. Asking one question and make it something different. When we were in uh, Tokyo this past October, our favorite place for sushi was off the beaten path a little bit. It was inside this area called Nakano. And there's this big mall there. And on the second floor of this big mall, there's all this vintage anime stuff that you can go buy. And that's why I was there. That's pretty cool. And then we just found this little sushi spot. And this lady has been there for, goodness, like 50 years. You see a picture of her and her husband in this sushi shop. And through Google Translate, she's trying to teach us how to eat sushi with our fingers and not chopsticks and all that sort of stuff. And then there's some other lady who's a regular, her friend, and then she's there and we're talking. And you just don't know what you can dig up about a place. And for me, usually it's around food, but goodness, there's all sorts of opportunities like that where you can be a little more mindful. And it just creates that memory a little bit more ingrained because if you think about when you eat, a lot of times we're mindless. We're just eating and going. And through a conversation, through talking to someone, attaching a story to it, that mindless meal can now be a lifelong memory 
because you now have this great story or opportunity that you took advantage of around it. Even mishaps, maybe you miss a reservation or I remember, goodness, this is like 2017 maybe, my wife and I were trying to get to, I think it was called Sushi Narazawa in New York City. And it was around Christmas time. We got lost. So then we called the restaurant and then we were literally running down the road because this is a really nice sushi restaurant. If anyone's seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi, have you seen that before? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, so many it's, times. It is the guy who's trying to make the egg custard that cries. It's his restaurant now in New York City. And so... We're running down, we get there, and it was just the most sublime sushi. Now, they could have been just another great sushi restaurant because we've been to a lot of those. But now since we're late, running behind, we got lost. We're literally sprinting down New York City streets and 20 degree weather, but we made it and it was good. <laughs> it's something small like that, a mishap. Don't let those things get to you, but try to find ways to enjoy that meal, that opportunity because of those unforeseen and unknown circumstances. And when you are traveling too, and you're taking your time, this is something actually I learned while in therapy, actually. My therapist taught me this mindfulness practice that I really enjoyed, and it helped me encapsulate places a little bit better where you take your time, you sit down, and you just trace and outline things that you see in front of you with your eyes, just kind of like if you had a sheet of paper and you're just going to draw on that sheet of paper what you're seeing. And by taking a few minutes to just trace an outline of place. For me personally, I can now go back and think back to the exact time, that exact place, exact moment. And if you want to take it a bit further, you can close your eyes after you do that, visualize a place, the the place that you are, the place you just outlined, and then take in the sounds and the smells. And then you're making this really crazy mental picture to take it in. And a lot of people don't do that because when we travel, we're, we're going quickly. We want to get to the next place, the next attraction. We're tired. We have to eat this. We have to see that. So a lot of times we don't take time to sit on a park bench or even when we're doing it in transit, like if you're sitting on the metro, do something like that. And I think that right there kind of encapsulates a lot of what slow travel is for me. I love that. I'm going to take that directly to my fiance, Nick, because he is such a fast eater. that he needs to apply some of these tips and tricks himself. So he'll enjoy this little segment. Now we're going to dive into some of your stays across your journeys and your travels. What is your favorite boutique property that you've stayed at? And can you share a little bit more about what made that memory so memorable? So it was actually probably the last place we just went to in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. And I've been... Goodness, we've been traveling the world now extensively for like five years, I think now. And I've stayed at a lot of places. Even before I started Nomadic Foodist and everything, it was just a lot of travel. And oh my goodness, this place was just a small apartment because when we travel, we have to travel on a budget. And usually the accommodations are generally livable, they're good, and they're fine. But this place for us was a little bit better because it was a nice apartment, but it was so immaculately clean. You couldn't even wear your shoes inside past the lobby and up the stairs to your room. They actually make you take your shoes off at entrance. And then you go in, room's perfect. It smells nice. Actually spray something in there to make it actually smell nice. And they included free water because you can't drink the tap water there. So they have unlimited free water, free laundry twice a week, and they can come in and clean your room whenever you'd like. And those little things really added up for us because for us being you know travelers, we're in Ho Chi Minh for a month. 
So water alone, that saved us a ton of money. And then the laundry itself too. So when it comes to a regular kind of property like that, it can go a long way when it's like really nice. It's those little things that kind of add up for us that really make it a little bit special. Or even just having things just be, I guess, as advertised. You know, when you go to a nice hotel, you expect it to be a nice hotel, a nice boutique hotel. Or if you go to bed and breakfast, my wife and I, when we're dating, went to a bed and breakfast in Glenwood Springs. Wonderful old Victorian house, greeted so well. The outside kind of looked like the up house from the movie because it was all multicolored. It was just nice Victorian style. And then the breakfast was nice. And just those little things that can go a long way. And for me, when you're traveling so much and you're in one place for a long time, if one thing isn't right, it can be a bit detrimental. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I have to deal with this again. Like I have more bad things that happen sometimes at these places than than good things. But this one in Ho Chi Minh City for sure was one of my favorite small places. It's just, they did everything perfect. Great service. They even got us free coconuts too. You just go downstairs like, hey, you want a coconut? They just cut open a coconut. Here you go. Put a straw in there. Enjoy your day. That's so neat. I love the nod to the take off your shoes, put on the slippers. As a shoe-free household, that would make me feel right at home. So I really like that. Again, that attention to detail. Now, is there a boutique property that you've dreamt of visiting and why is that? I have a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Where to start? Well, one of the things I've always wanted to do was spend a lot of time like by the ocean. And so a lot of people, they want the bungalows over the water, like in say the Maldives or in Tahiti, which are really nice. Just picture your Instagram feed. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So the thing is, I want something a little bit different where I actually just want my own house, like actually not over the water, but like on the sand and just something like that where I can go fishing. I can spend a little time there. I can go snorkeling when I want. I can just roam freely or maybe up in Italy as well. And not in necessarily Tuscany, even though it's nice in some other parts or, or along the Malfi Coast. I want to be up in the Emilia Romagna region where it's a little bit, the food's a little more hearty. The people are really nice and everything kind of centers around food. A little, a little area like in the mountains, close access to a road, but also a good access to a small town where you can just walk there and just enjoy really, really good food really, really good drink. And these places are a little bit more secluded, like my dream places, because we're in cities all the time. Oh my goodness. Speaking of like really good boutique, I just remember this. So in Lisbon, Portugal, there is a section of the city where they have this certain style of music called Fado. And Fado is this really melancholy kind of music. It's done done in these live performances at dinner or like on the street. And where we were specifically our Airbnb and where it was situated on the third floor, we could just hear every single night photo music echoing through the streets, coming in right in through the window. And it was the most perfect, serene sort of thing where every night I can enjoy this wonderful show of photo. And until you hear it, you may not understand, but even just being there in this great city and enjoying great food and wine, and then just ending the night with just this wonderful photo music that's just pouring in through the window. That's pretty good. Just remember that. <laughs> no, I love that. And I've experienced that myself. Oh, that yes. just totally, it totally brings me back. Wow. And then to your point, yes, cities are are wonderful. But once you've seen them, you start to crave those nature escapes, those off the beaten path places, whether that's by water or in the mountains or along a farm. And so I love that that is something that you're craving yourself. And that's a lot of what I like to learn more about and talk more about. 
Now, what advice do you have for our listeners and how they too can stay in good company during their own future travels? Well, the way I do things, a lot of it's money related because you want the most bang for your buck and you still want a good memorable stay. So you have to figure out what's most important to you. If you're staying in a city, even though you may find cheaper accommodations further out of the city, how much time are you staying there? Because you're going to be spending a lot of time in the metro or in taxis, getting to and from places back to your place. And then it's, okay, closer towards the city. Do I want to be where the action is? Do I want a little quieter neighborhood? Do I want to be around good food? Or do I want to be around a lot of things that I enjoy? And that's really important. Because for me, what's really important, and I've been so lucky, it's where this is more of a coincidence than planned out, is that I can walk downstairs or walk through my door of wherever I'm staying in any city and just be surrounded by just tremendously delicious food immediately. I don't have to go far. And I'm so lucky that it happens by accident sometimes, but I try to make it more intentional. So that's what's really important for me. And if you're doing more off the beaten path stays, depends on what platform you're using. I like Airbnb. And when you're having these stays, read the reviews, figure out what's important to you. Because for us, we have to have an air conditioner because even in winter, because we get really warm, I get really warm in the middle of the night. So like having air conditioner that's close to the bed area, a lot of like little things like that. And then for the really good things, the things that you want to enjoy, like if you really want to spend time fishing, how close are you to the water? What type of fishing do you want to do? Or horseback riding or from the mountains in Virginia, like where I grew up, there's apple picking. There's a lot of little things that you can do. And so figuring out what's the most important thing to you and then gearing your stay around that is super, super important. And of course, we want to save money. We don't want to spend too much, but... All in all, if this is your vacation you take once every year or once every two years, it's okay to spend a little bit extra money. In my opinion, that's the biggest thing is you don't want things to go wrong. And so ultimately, the extra money you pay is for convenience, for things to go well, because the last thing you need is not have hot water in your stay, wherever you are. And even if you're in a hotel in a nice city, even if it's a boutique hotel, things can still go wrong. Things can still happen, but you have to be flexible. But usually the money you spend means you're more likely to have less hassle and have less things go wrong and to just focus on enjoying whatever you're doing in that city. So yes, travel with budget in mind, but also know where to spend the money. Exactly. And I know we talked about this a bit on your podcast as well, spending your money where you want to and investing in that local community. So when you stay at that mom and pop place, it might be a little bit more expensive, but then there's going to be so much more value that you get out of it. You're going to get that complimentary breakfast or that bottle of wine sitting there. You're going to get those tips for going on these certain hikes or taking these certain back roads. And so I just think that if you do your research ahead of time, to your point, how you travel and what your kind of criteria are, but then you allow yourself to really invest in a local stay, it's going to go so much further and you're going to have such more authentic and memorable experiences. When you stay local, I know we talked about this too, when you're on my podcast, when you stay local, it's the one of the most sustainable things you can do for an area because the money stays with people. And it stays with people who live there and work there. And the corporations don't get a big cut, like if you stay at a a corporate hotel. So you're kind of getting a win at the expense of just a little bit extra money. Because if you're staying at a bed and breakfast or a small Airbnb, they're going to be willing to talk to you. Or if you're staying at a boutique hotel, people are going to talk to you. You can ask advice and 
They'll tell you where to go, where to eat. They'll tell you stories. All sorts of stuff can happen. But if they're at like a big chain, they don't really care as much, you know? So in my opinion. Well, that's my opinion as well. And we'll leave it there. So thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Cheers to you and all of your future travels. Safe travels home. Thank you. Hello, worldly travelers and loyal listeners. Do you know of places and people we can stay in good company with? Are you yourself a host looking to share your story and welcome in good company? We're always looking for new places to travel, new people to meet. Share who you know and where they are by sending us a note at stayinggoodcompany.com or by mentioning us on our social media channels at Stay in Good Company. We'll be sure to give you a shout out when we're there. Kit, welcome to the show. Happy to have you in our company. Molly, I'm delighted to be here. It's so good to finally have you on. Now, where in the world can we find you today? Currently, I am freezing in Tennessee. My house is warm, but we are covered in a blanket of our first real snow of the year and in single digits, which is unusual for our area. It sounds like it. Oh, that's beautiful. Hopefully you can stay cozy inside the rest of the day. That's the plan for the week. Perfect. Well, if you had to describe what you do for a living to, say, a child or a grandparent, what would you tell them that you do? I would say I have a radio on demand on the internet where I discuss how people can hike, bike, and paddle their way around the world as a unique way to explore the the globe and, and their own country. Oh, I love that. Yes, definitely unique style of travel. That's for sure. So in those travels that you experience, that you invite your community to experience, what does slow travel mean to you personally? I think that when you travel by your own body in the ways that I cover on my show, that you actually get to meet the people. So you're not, one of my guests had this great analogy that I've used several times. She said, when you slow travel, you're not outside the fishbowl looking in. You're in the fishbowl. You're with the locals. You meet them walking their dogs. You just have a chance to become part of their day. And they're just as likely to go home and say, you'll never guess this crazy person I met that was uh, walking across the whole country or whatever the case we may, we become part of their life and they become part of ours for that day, which I find very cool. I love that. Yes. What I love to do wherever I am traveling, I like to have that sense of activeness. I'm not one of those who wants to sit on a beach for a week and relax. For me, I I thrive by doing activities and getting out and and experiencing things. And so whether that's a hike or a bike or just walking around a city, my fiance and I met in New York City and we walked everywhere. So I feel like we still have that in our nature where no matter what town or city or place that we are, we always want to walk. And so if it's within a few miles, we would prefer to walk and just to slowly see the the places passing by and the people passing by. So I love that that's what you consider to be slow travel. Now, as you are traveling that way, very mindfully fostering those connections locally, like you had mentioned, do you have any quick stories or tips and tricks to share there for our audience? I believe a lot of people try to plan too detailed of their day. And so they don't allow for serendipity where you're walking along, you meet somebody walking their dog, they might invite you for a cup of coffee. But if you've got, oh, I've got tickets to be at the museum at such and such a time. So I encourage people to allow white space in their travels so that they allow for that chance encounter or just meet somebody and they tell you about something cool you didn't even know about. So you can have a different and a more surprising adventure. So it's not so clear cut exactly what you're going to do. It's To me, it's more fun. 
Absolutely. That seems to be a common theme in these conversations. So I'm glad to see that other people are doing that. And it's something I try to remind myself more and more as I do plan my future travels is to say yes and allow the local place and the people to speak to me. And so through those travels, do you have any favorite stays in particular boutique properties that you've experienced that are really memorable to you? I have three that come to mind when you ask that question, completely different sides of the spectrum as far as cost goes. So I'll start with the really luxe one. So I went to Bhutan, which a lot of people are like, where is it? It's in the Himalayas. And the cool thing about Bhutan is that it's surrounded by the Himalayas and it's never been conquered. And it's only been open to tourists for the last couple of decades. So it's relatively unchanged. Of course, the internet's going to start to change that. But within the, I believe the capital is Paro, but in Paro, they have the Jiwa Ling Heritage Hotel, which is built in the traditional manner, I believe with no nails. It is intricately carved and painted. And so the outside construction is in the traditional way, which is absolutely stunning, but it's very luxurious. It's a five-star, all the best Swedish furnishings and comfort and luxury, but they also have a temple within the hotel that I've found one of the most serene of my whole visit. They have a spa. It's just an amazing place that you're just ooing and aahing the whole time you're in there. And that was probably the most luxurious and cool place I've ever stayed. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, in Bolivia, in Copacabana, there's a hostel, but it's not like any hostel you've ever been to. A German sculptor fell in love with a Bolivian woman, and he stayed there, and he's created these works of art. Each room is actually its own private cabin. One of them looks like a, it looked to me like a soft serve ice cream. It's supposed to represent a seashell, but you just see this ice cream cone out of terracotta popping out of the ground, and inside each of these cabins, it's all a work of art. Every single thing within the cabin is individually made artistically for that particular theme of whether it's a teepee or the seashell or whatever these different little cottages all overlooking Lake Titicaca in walking distance to downtown, very reasonably priced and just super cool. The whole grounds are just amazing. Everybody has a hammock in their bedroom. You might have to climb up the rope swing to get to the upstairs bed if there's two people. It's just it's the most unusual place I ever stayed in. It was just gorgeous. You'd look at the sink, you're like, my gosh, that's the most beautiful sink I've ever seen. Or the floor in the shower. Every single detail of each cabin is made with local materials, local artists, and it's just a, an, an incredible place. And that's called Las Olas, the waves. Uh, Hostel Las Olas. Like I said, right downtown Copacabana, really cool place. And then another unique place I stayed was a former sheep shearer shed in the South Island of New Zealand. And so you're basically in the quarter. So to shear sheep, it's done once a year and you'll have these groups of men. I don't know if women do it. And they'll just go farm to farm shearing the sheep. And this was their quarters. The cool thing about it, and it's been remodeled, is you're out looking across the lake to Mount Cook, which is their famous uh, and most popular uh, highest mountain in New Zealand. Just stunning, stunning views. You're in the middle of nowhere and you're just a part of history. It is a working farm. So if, if you're not into the sheep shear shed, they do have a lodge, they have some cabins, but it's a working farm. It's cool. Wow. Those are all so neat. Yeah. Say sheep shearing shed 10 times yes, fast. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but th those are so unique. And those are places that you would never stumble upon if you just look up 
the top rated lists in the top cities in these countries. So it takes conversations with people like you who go out of your way to be spontaneous and have these adventures and find these places. And then all of a sudden it might spark an idea or a desire for someone else to go and to explore that too. So I love that we can so clearly picture these places and have that desire to go and experience all of the senses and the local aspect of each and every one. Well, there's one other cool thing about that. And the name of that place is called Mount Cook Station, by the way. So they were filming a Netflix medieval film while we were there. So we see all these people running around. There was the last day of the shoot, very hot that day. And they're in this very thick garb looking like they're out of the 14, 1500s. And that was rather cool as well. What are the odds that that would be taking place at the same time? That's too funny. (laughs) Now, that definitely gives you that sense of reality check of, yep, here we are, back with Netflix. (laughs) Doesn't leave. Now, is there a certain property or a place in mind that you've dreamt of visiting? And why is that? It's more of a type of a place, Molly. And so I have in my mind probably next year to go to Japan, I would like to do, there's a long distance trail that's a, a sister to the Camino called the Kamanakodo. And I would like to stay in one of the temples. So you're actually in the temples with the monks. You can participate or not as you wish. And I want to stay on one. I think it's the tatami mats. And just I just want to experience Japanese culture in the way that the monks do. I just think that's cool. I just remember in Bhutan, Buddhists as well, and the monks were out playing soccer at the end of the day, and and they let some of the guys play soccer with them. I just, I want to see that part of their life, and the best way to do that is to stay with them. Absolutely. Well, and the fact that they're welcoming you into their home and to learn about their culture and their community is so neat versus reading about it or watching a documentary. The fact that you have the ability to go and travel and immerse yourself in that type of stay is, is super special. So I wish you the best of luck. I too have dreams of traveling to Japan. So we'll have to share some recommendations there. Beyond that, do you have any advice for our listeners and how they too can stay in good company and travel mindfully in the future? Sometimes it's good. And a lot of times these unique places might be a little bit more expensive than you normally do. And I basically, I'm your three-star traveler, but I think it's fun and good if every once in a while you go to the extremes stay at a really nice place but then counter that further on with some place that's down and dirty two star maybe not one star so that way you appreciate all the different places that you're staying and whenever possible try to get away from the chains and to try to find the unique locally owned not only will you have that local connection where you might actually have a conversation with a local that's encouraging I just think you'll be inside that fishbowl more that we were talking about earlier. I love that. I do think that a lot of places are hidden gems to your point. So they might not have the big price point. They might not have the means to do a lot of marketing and to show a beautiful website and all the photos, but the hospitality is so innate in their nature and in their multi-generational family and just their local community. So I think that you'd be surprised at really the quality of hospitality across the board. So it's definitely an interesting perspective to your point to try the different stages of that and to see the differences, but also the similarities too that you can find along the way. Right. And I want to give you an example of that hospitality. I was in Australia and lovely woman who's managing the inn that I was staying in. I'm sorry, I don't remember their name. It started to rain and my husband and I were out 
to dinner and she had recommended the dinner place. She sent somebody to come pick us up after dinner without even asking. We walk out and they're like, oh, we're here waiting for you to take us back to the inn. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, you're not going to get that from a Holiday Inn. No, exactly. Or they charge you an arm and a leg for it. It's those types of, yes, you might be paying a little bit more for the stay, but then you're getting those really meaningful moments coming out of it. Exactly. Many thanks for joining us, Kit. It was so nice to chat and cheers to you and all of your future adventures. That sounds great. Thank you. Hello, worldly travelers and loyal listeners. Are you too planning your upcoming travels and in search of independently owned and operated stays and experiences to visit along the way? Head on over to stayinggoodcompany.com or our social media channels at Stay in Good Company and drop us a note with where you're going and when, and we'll be sure to set you up in good company for your trip. Just don't be surprised if we hide away in your suitcase and join you in your journeys. Adam, welcome to the show. Happy to have you in our company. Thanks ever so much. It's nice to finally meet you face to face, Molly. Absolutely. I love having these conversations around the world at all hours of the night. Now, speaking of which, where in the world can we find you today? I am currently in the Okanagan Valley, which is quite an important wine region in British Columbia, Canada. I think for a lot of people, they might not be as familiar with Canada's wine regions, but you certainly have a strong passion for it. And we'd love to learn a little bit more about that. So how would you describe what you do for a living? Say if you were to describe it to a child or a grandparent, what would you tell them? So I work in wine sales, really. I work for a very small family-run kind of mum-and-pop shop winery, and we produce organically farmed natural wine, and it's my job to sell it. So I run the retail store and also run tastings as well for the guests that come and visit us. I am based full-time at the winery. Uh, and then I also manage the wine club and sell the wine to wholesale accounts. So if there's a restaurant, a bar, or even a wine store that stocks our wine, it will be my job to manage those accounts. Wonderful. And then on the side, you have a very wonderful podcast that I love listening to when I'm not hearing my own voice. So can you tell us a little bit more about Tripology? Yeah, so Tripology podcast is a travel podcast, specifically targeting people who love travel first and foremost, but also backpackers, people who love overland travel as well. Usually people that have prioritized travel over their day job, let's say. So the sort of people that might quit their job and then book a one-way ticket to a location and then just spend six months or a year moving around that region, exploring everything there is to do. Absolutely. Well, I think myself and my listeners have all dreamt about that on a, a fair occasion. Now, speaking of which, as you do dream of your travels, what does slow travel mean to you personally? Slow travel is about giving yourself the time to stand still. And as I just mentioned, when it comes to quitting your job and buying a one-way ticket to a location, there's really fantastic resources that you can take advantage of, like working holiday visas, which will often give you the right for 12 months or 24 months to live in a country, work, earn money, and then explore the country at your own leisure. So I would say over the last three years, not many travelers have traveled more slowly than I have because I've been full-time living in Canada, but I'm originally from London in the UK. So not everyone has maybe the inkling to do that kind of slow travel. But for me, if you're really going to understand the environment you're in, it's important to take a lot of time 
and interact with the local community, maybe to give yourself at least enough time to explore the place and experience the place as if you lived there, perhaps. I love that answer. Definitely just taking that time to really experience to not have a full planned agenda, but to just see what speaks to you and what you happen upon. And so as you're doing so, and as you're enjoying traveling mindfully, fostering those connections locally, do you have any stories or quick tips and tricks to share there? Yeah, for me, I tend to travel on my own. I do a lot of solo travel. And I know that when you're traveling alone, you are often forced into certain situations which maybe feel uncomfortable to some people, but they do mean that you are offered sometimes incredible opportunities to mix with local people. And whether that might be sitting at a bar late at night drinking on your own, or you meet a group of other backpackers, for example, at a hostel that are going in a different direction, you only have yourself to question, really. And I think that can be quite important when it comes to exploring uh, a region. Yeah, I think allowing spontaneity, should we call it, is really important. Because as you mentioned, if you've got a really rigid agenda that's been filled with lots of really interesting things to do, I also think that with that comes a certain expectation and pressure. And I've been very guilty of that in the past, of wanting the trip to be something in my imagination. And for that reason, I I try not to deviate from a path which might be far more enjoyable. Absolutely. I'm the same way. I like to play it ahead. But then when I am traveling for leisure, I try to take that time to not make all those plans. And to your point, I think about traveling by yourself. There's a lot to say for the courage of having those conversations with strangers or just being present with yourself, not sitting in the restaurant, scrolling on your phone, just listening to the people around you, striking conversation, just observing the scenery, the setting. And so I've had to travel a lot myself for my day job. And some of those trips are what really then spark my creativity, make those lasting memories and that sense of spontaneity, to your point, that I never would have experienced otherwise. Yeah, I think as well, it can be quite an interesting exercise to stay in some outlying regions of of cities or maybe in some lesser known areas of a city that maybe aren't frequented by tourists, because then you, you tend to get a more authentic experience of what local life might be like. And I absolutely love that. Going to to local markets is fantastic, whether you eat at them or shop at them. Always a sort of a hive of activity, which I really, really enjoy. Going to a local coffee shop, sitting in a park for a couple of hours is a thing I really like doing. And one example in terms of a, a tip or a trick that's just popped into my head is a number of years ago, I was in Vietnam in the northern regions of Sapa, the very mountainous region. Lots of small tribes and communities live in the uh, sort of forests there. And about 20 kilometers outside of Sapa, I was staying at a homestay with a family in a village of about 70 people. I think there were 72, to be precise. And I had booked to stay with this lady. The only reason I had her phone number was because it was passed to me by a backpacker going in the opposite direction. It was incredibly fortuitous. I was a complete coincidence. She said, this backpacker I met, fantastic woman. She said, there's a lady that you absolutely must stay with. She's magic. And it's a homestay. It's a very basic accommodation in a small village. You'll live with her husband, her two children, and you'll get to experience sort of local village life. I was riding a motorbike at the time, traveling on my own and and driving sort of north to south and back across Vietnam. So I didn't have anything to lose. Sent her a message. 
and then ended up staying there for three incredible days. Now, back to the point about spontaneity and being open and having no sort of rigid structure, because she didn't have anyone else coming for the following week after I was due to leave, she said, would you like to just continue living with me? And I had a little bit of of a trip planned. It was nothing that was set in stone, but I had in my mind wanted to be in certain places at any given time. And that all went out the window. I pushed it to one side and I thought, when else am I going to get this opportunity to do this? And I felt incredibly welcomed and humbled by these people. I even got up at sort of four o'clock in the morning, one morning and helped them bamboo farm. So climb to the top of a mountain. Honestly, I was embarrassed because these bundles of bamboo are so heavy that I couldn't lift it on the floor. And these really petite Vietnamese men that I was working with were just throwing them on their shoulder and sprinting down the mountain, coming up to get the next one before I've even managed to pick one bundle up. And those are the sort of memories that really define a trip, I think. Not necessarily how many museums you went to, or not that there's anything against sort of art galleries or religious buildings. I really enjoy going to religious buildings for the architecture and their kind of historical and cultural significance. But if you're going to spend three days in a city and absolutely bust a gut in trying to get around and see everything there is to do on the top 20 list, I I can promise you it'll be a far less enjoyable experience. Far less authentic and culturally immersive experience too. Completely, And so I, I completely agree with that. I'm sure along a lot of those travels, as you've been spontaneous and off the beaten track, what are some of your favorite boutique properties that you've stayed at in your own travels? Can you share a bit more about what made those experiences memorable? Yeah, certainly. So I was very, very fortunate. I feel like I've got to tread a little bit carefully here because did you catch wind of the wildfires that happened in the Okanagan Valley this year? Mm, yes. Yeah. So the wildfires in BC year on year have been pretty difficult in the three years that I've lived here as well. And they certainly impact our livelihood because we work in farming, agriculture, wine growing. And unfortunately, this year, hundreds of uh, structures were lost and many, many of those were family homes. But one of the properties I stayed in just before it was burned to the ground actually was this really, it was such an amazing themed boutique hostel in a place called Squilax, which is in the shoe swap region. It's just north of the Okanagan Valley where I live. And it was a general store, an old general store from the early 1900s, all with sort of brick building up on this hill. And then you go to the back of the property. So you go down this dirt track and there's a clearing in the woods, in the forest, right on the lake. And in that clearing, there have been some cabooses, like the carts on the back of a train that the staff would engineers and the drivers, of course, would sleep in. And they had been crane lifted down to the edge of the lake. So they were sort of these living quarters for people who worked on the trains. And I got to say, I I think I was probably there two weeks before it burned down. And the woman who ran the hostel, she was actually turning the accommodation into long-term accommodation for staff who work in the agricultural industry around that region. So it's very, very sad that it burnt down. And she's a wonderful woman who really looked after me. But to stay in something like that, which is, I guess, on the one hand, people might say it's quite gimmicky, but the location, the way that it sort of expressed her idea is so beautiful. The clearing then opened out onto kind of a bridge that went down to the lakeside and there was a boat that was moored there. And we sat there and had a glass of wine and watched the sunset over the river. And I remember there was a bear on the other side of the the lake as well. 
and a huge bald eagle swooped down and took something out of the lake. But I mean, those sorts of experiences are so magical. And I think when you're choosing accommodation, the environment that you're in has a profound impact on your overall experience of your trip. Absolutely. I think that this sense of place obviously had so much impact on you and the memories you have from it. And how often do we actually get the opportunity to share those memories directly with those owners of those Mm. properties? And so for them to hear later on through a podcast, through a review, through word of mouth, or perhaps upon your return, really what that meant to, to you and how you've continued to talk about the memories and reflect back on it and how that's really shaped who you are and your next adventures that speaks a lot for all that she's created and just the compounding effect, not just creating a nice stay for you in the moment, but how that's impacted the rest of your memories is really special. So I'm sure that if she were to listen to this, she would feel a lot of comfort in, in hearing you say that and kind of honoring that place as if it was still there today. Yeah, it was. it's just so wonderful to stay in those cabooses, which have got very basic kitchens and living quarters with four, four sort of bunk beds, if you like, and then opening the metal door, freezing cold early in the morning, and then going down the bridge to the dock and watching the sunrise the following morning and then having breakfast in the common area and she would cook pancakes and things. That was kind of her thing. It was very sort of communal, very inclusive. And yeah, I think nothing gave her more pleasure than just seeing her guests have a good time. Oh, so neat. Well, with that in mind, are there any other properties or places that you've dreamt of visiting when you go on your next adventures? And why is that? Yeah, so I would say that probably two. There's definitely two that are at the forefront of my mind at the moment. And have you been to Japan and stayed in a ryokan? No, but I would love to. So please tell me more. Yeah, so they're typically traditional Japanese inns and they often have sort of tatami mat floors and they're inside. They could look a little outdated, Mm -hmm. but they're very beautiful, often quite decorative, wooden beams and little cabinets and trinkets all around and things. And the service is always exceptional. I mean, they're not the cheapest places to stay. It's probably important to say, but the ones that I've stayed in have been usually in hot spring areas. So onsen and the food they offer, honestly, Molly, is exceptional. Sometimes you go down for breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning. So typically you might have to actually book at what time you want dinner or what time you want breakfast. But the food they serve is 10, 12, maybe 15 separate dishes of regional specialities or things that are local to that area. And you walk around wearing these yukatas. It's kind of like a kimono for indoors. And then, you know, go down to the onsen, the hot spring and the sort of bath and just sit there and relax. And those mean so much to that local town. But in terms of a wonderful sort of eye-opening, authentic experience and the service you receive, I mean, it's honestly exceptional. Yes, I can just picture and, and practically feel all of the senses as you're Mm. describing that. And I think that that's definitely one of those experiences that really just is so immersive. So that's definitely been on our list for a while. So I will have to look into that further. (laughs) Do. Yeah, definitely. And you're contributing to a, a local independently owned business. And these people often I feel, and I'm sure you're the same because of the message you send, but the service you receive from people who really want to be there. These are sometimes people who have dedicated their lives to hospitality. 
and they really enjoy making sure that you're having a good time. And that comes through. And the interactions that you have with people who sometimes have grown up in that region, the sort of advice they can give you about the local area, whether it's certain foods that you should try or maybe a walk that you should go on that you're not going to find it on any website, for example. So yeah, I, I love that kind of thing. And the fact that I've been lucky enough to stay in a few has only inspired me to go and stay in more. And then I guess the other one, this will probably speak to you as well, because I was at a crossroads about three years ago in my life, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do next, but I certainly knew that I wanted to continue the trip. I'd been living in Hong Kong. I'd come back to the UK to visit my parents for what I thought was just going to be a few weeks. As we all know, unfortunately, it ended up being a few months. Not unfortunately, because I love my parents, obviously. However, I had two offers on the table. One of them was to move to Canada, which, spoiler alert, I took. <laughs> and I think the reason why, if I can preface this by saying that, is that I was thinking about the next three to five years as opposed to the next two months. The longevity of the trip and what I could achieve after the fact was really, really interesting to me. Not that this hasn't been amazing in isolation anyway to live in this wine region. It's absolutely stunning. When you come here, definitely let me know. But the other offer was to work an olive harvest in Abruzzo in Italy. And it was this it was this very small sort of bed and breakfast type building on a hilltop and local family, of course, 500 olive trees. And I had agreed with them that I would come and stay with them, live with them, and I would actually exchange my sort of food and accommodation for hours work help them with the olive harvest and processing the olives and that kind of thing. And that, of course, feeds into agriculture and wine growing as well. I think if you're really interested in food and drink and food culture, you'd really get a lot out of that type of experience. And the fact that I didn't choose that option and I had to sort of let the family down, if you like, that seed's now been planted and it's very, very difficult to ignore. So... When I get a bit of time off, when it makes sense, logistically, if I'm in that neck of the woods, I'm absolutely going to reconnect with that family. And if there isn't an opportunity there, I'll definitely do something similar because I think about that on a very regular basis. Oh, certainly so. Yes, we've loved when we traveled through Spain and Italy, the freshness of the olive oil and seeing it harvested. And similarly with wine, when you go and stay at those properties for people who live in cities or live in suburbs and don't see the harvest and yes. how the whole town comes out to support. I mean, it, it's really magical. So I love that you've already experienced that yourself, but you want to experience that more. And that's something that I think we all should really reflect on. And I think what a lot of my listeners enjoy listening to is when you can immerse yourself in those, not only just nature, but those agricultural experiences is something that a lot of us just never got the chance to experience growing up. And now we all seek that connection to nature in that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly those sorts of experiences. I mean, Alan, my best friend who I run the podcast with, Tripology, we would say that at our very core, we're experientialists. We love doing things for the experience and then telling stories about it, obviously. And I think if more and more people knew that those types of experience existed, because what you can learn, quite honestly, is astounding. We would always encourage more and more people to do that kind of thing. And these people often really need your help. It's very hard work, the agricultural industry. You have so much more appreciation for where your food comes from. 
and how it's grown. And I've tried growing a lot in my garden myself. And now having had these conversations and learning that squash is not supposed to be that big and a jalapeno, the smaller it is, the spicier it is. There's certain things that you don't learn until you experience. And it just goes to show how much appreciation you have for what these people do. Completely. And the other thing I would say to that point is that if the average consumer knew how what they were buying was produced, whether that's a processed food or even a bottle of wine in our case, I don't think they would consume it. And I think that's an issue. And the way that we farm, the way that we produce wine, if if you were heavily involved, you'd appreciate it even more. To produce a really sort of pure, concentrated and well-balanced wine that isn't faulty the way that we farm and the way that we elaborate the wine, it's exceptional. It's incredibly difficult without the use of additives and and whatever else. So I think if more and more people, it might change where they spend their money, unfortunately, because there are some wineries that have a different focus. And I think for the most part, there's enough room in the market for all of us. But some companies are just trying to create a reliable brand and consistency and We know from experience and from the seasons that if you're buying a bottle of wine and it's in 2017, 18, 19 and 20 and it tastes exactly the same, the chances are it's been manipulated a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. And and that goes too with the seasonal food that you're tasting, the local Mm. food that you're tasting. If you get to experience that at these places that you're staying at, it just shows that you are getting the freshest offering and the most local offering. And so that's something that I definitely look for in my travels. And with these stays is what is there in the community? What farmers are we supporting? What's what craftspeople are we supporting and what stories do they have to share? What products are they offering to us? And I think there's a lot of pride in that. So I love that you have that appreciation during your travels as well. Well, absolutely. It's food and drink is not something I really know that much about, and I'm certainly not a good cook. But it's always a focal point of my travels. Whenever I go away, I'm always going somewhere uh, that has a very strong sort of identity when it comes to cuisine. And I probably eat six meals a day when I'm away, something like that, just trying to get as much as I possibly can in, usually at local markets or restaurants and weeks and weeks of research prior to see what different dishes are like. And uh, the the funniest example, uh, albeit quite an embarrassing one, is in 2019, I spent a week in Paris. And I'm very lucky to have spent a lot of time in France. Uh, It's a country that that I love. And I think if you pinned me down and said, you've got to spend the rest of your life in one country, France would be quite high on the list because of how diverse it is. But I spent uh, a week in Paris and two of those days, I thought it'd be quite funny to discover the city by foot, but with the objective of finding the best croissant in Paris. So I started plotting on a map after weeks of research, a number of bakeries that claimed to have the best croissant. There was a, a food blog that said it was the best croissant or they'd recently won an award for the best croissant in Paris, whatever it was. But I basically created this short list and then started plotting them on a map. And it ended up creating almost a a sort of ring around Paris. And I thought, well, hang on, I could probably do that by foot and it would be an amazing way to discover the city. So on the first day, I walked 16 kilometers and ate, I don't know, maybe 10 (laughs) (laughs) croissants. I mean, that's that's what we call balance. (laughs) Yes. 
My goodness. And then the second, I walked 24 kilometers and went to all of the remaining ones. But I went through every single neighborhood, arrondissement, and just had an incredible time doing it. And of course, when you're exploring a city by foot, the interactions you have are so much more frequent. And you notice certain things. It might even be graffiti on a wall, or it might be a small child playing soccer in uh, football for for our English listeners Mm -hmm. or European Mm -hmm. listeners. Or it might be just a butterfly that sort of flies down onto a flower. It could be anything like that. But the more time you spend on the ground, this is why we always say on the podcast, Alan and me always encourage people to travel over land if you can. Because sometimes flying is actually the antithesis of travel, if you ask us. So yeah, exploring a city that way on foot is really quite something. And of course, I needed to work off the calories after eating about 20 croissants. I did something similar. So when I lived and studied in Denmark, I would go to a different Danish bakery a day to try all the different Danishes. I started tallying how many different Danishes I was trying. But then similarly to your story in Paris, I was there solo and being by myself, I figured what better way to see the city than to pack myself a picnic. And so I found a local baker to get my baguette. I found a local cheesemaker to get my cheese, charcuterie, and fresh fruit from the market. So I went to all these different places all around the city. And then I sat down in front of the Eiffel Tower at night and just watched everyone. And it was so nice to just really experience Paris on foot, to your point, and go down those little alleyways, find those local makers, have those conversations. And then I swear that was the best little grazing board that I have ever tasted, just seeing the beautiful Eiffel Tower all lit up. And I think it's those types of experiences, walking on foot, going to the local shops where you can really get a sense of the place. Yeah, being completely immersed and surrounded by conversations that local people are having. And I don't know who you were next to in the park, but it's probably someone who goes to that park every single day. Mm -hmm. So trying to blend in as best you can to the local community and the people who live there, I think is really important and something that's not always that easy. But we always try and do our best to sort of blend in and make sure that we're not impacting a place too heavily. Because it's really important when you travel to remember that you're experiencing the location you're in, but the location is also experiencing you. So it's important to be mindful of that and very respectful at all times. The irony of that situation is that the family sitting next to me was American and they (laughs) saw that I was American. And so they asked me for my wine bottle opener. So that was not the most authentic part of that story. but. Again, the atmosphere, the aesthetic was there. <laughs> That's great. Well, I must ask you, what makes a good Danish? Well, in Denmark, I really like their cardamom buns. Oh, so wow. it's not just the traditional Danish snail or swirl, but it's when it's got those extra spices in it too. Oh, that sounds incredible. I love cardamom. And mm-hmm. just touching on what you've just said, you can never go into a French bakery and only order a croissant. There's always another 15 things that I really want to try. So my goodness, it was so difficult to decide. I was trying to rope in strangers so that I could maybe have a bite of the croissant, just test it, do a bit of uh, R&D, jot it down on the notepad and then try the other 15 things. My, My friends and family consider me a grazer because I like to order a lot of different things and then sample little things. So tapas style, grazing boards, charcuterie spreads, those types of things are my little piece of paradise. Yeah, amazing. I mean, 
when it comes to traveling with other people, I, I do you know, usually travel on my own. You know what it's like when you backpack around the world. Very rarely are you actually on your own. Mm-hmm. You're always going to bump into like-minded people. And when it comes to food specifically, being in a restaurant on your own and wanting to try an entire menu is so stressful. But if you've got a group of three, four, five people, you can just get one of everything and assuming you're all on the same page. Exactly. Well, speaking of that, what advice do you have for our listeners in how they can stay in good company during their own future travels? I think that recognizing and being aware of the positive ripple effect you can have on choosing the appropriate accommodation. Because when it comes to contributing to local families or businesses, you're making their day by doing that. And when you stay in in sort of independently owned boutique properties, whichever shape they come in, the people that you're staying with are genuinely happy that you've chosen to spend your time with them. And I love that. Working for a small business, that's something that's really opened my eyes because I used to work for a huge finance company in London and I didn't really agree with the product that we were offering. So I said to myself after leaving in my mid-20s that it's really important to work for a small company where you you can really feel sort of your impact. And I think as consumers, it's important to think, about where we spend our money. But as employees, it's also important to think about where we spend our time and our energy and seeing the difference that we've made and trying to educate more and more people about wine growing, wine production, never sort of speaking ill of our neighbours at all. But I can only speak about what we do, not necessarily what other people do or don't do. But staying with local people and always trying to think about the positive impact you can have on other people's day, I think is really important because... Also, the area that you stay in, the environment that you choose to stay in or book accommodation in can have a profound effect on your experience of a place. And I've always said you can only grade a location on your experience of it, no matter what anyone else says. However you experience that, you know, I went to Mexico City early last year and I was quite worried because I'd read a number of articles about how unsafe it was. Now, if I had stepped out the airport and immediately been rolled into the back of a car, left in a dark alleyway, and and then immediately robbed, I would always think that Mexico City was a really dangerous place. But I spent 11 days there, and I had the time of my life. So even if someone else was to tell me about Mexico City and how dangerous it was, there's no way I can ever think that, because I had an amazing time there. And if you choose to stay in outlying areas, or maybe places that are less frequented by tourists, and you choose things like riding the public transport or going to a local market or a cultural event, this is really what your trip's going to be defined by. Part of my mission and how I travel is to leave a place better than you found it. Yes. And so that sense of reciprocity and giving to them, yes, it might be monetarily, but it also might be keeping in touch or just showing your appreciation, asking those questions, sharing that gratitude, buying that extra bottle of wine to take back home. Just it gives you that little nod of appreciation for all that they've given you and that sense of return that you hope to give them back. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. And I think as well, sort of challenging the decisions you make and always questioning why it is you're going somewhere can also be really important. Because now with things like social media, we're almost like force fed where we should go on our honeymoon or the latest hip destination. 
And I think that doesn't always tell the whole story. That's something on the podcast that Alan and I are really conscious of, is trying to show a much more accessible side of travel, but also a very real one. And usually the cliche we usually use is that sometimes travel is reduced to, to a highly edited photo of someone attractive wearing not much in front of a blue lagoon or a waterfall. And we say, what about the 15-hour bus journey to get there? What about all the things that went wrong? Travel sometimes can be very dark and lonely. And you can't expect that if you go backpacking around the world for six months or a year, it's always going to be easy or always going to be fun or enjoyable. So we do try and showcase the dark side of travel or the, the difficult parts that maybe don't sell as well as a highly edited photo of a waterfall. Right. But then it just makes those special moments, those spontaneous moments, that much more memorable. Mm. Like it was worth that journey. It was worth that hurdle, that canceled flight, that missed train. It always ends up being something memorable. Definitely. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you think about the reasons why we travel, like I said, it, it might be because you saw an advert in a magazine. Being genuinely interested in where it is you're going, I think is yeah, incredibly important and certainly the message that we try to send. Absolutely. Well, many thanks for joining us, Adam, and cheers to you and all of your future travels. Thanks ever so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening along. I hope you found yourself to be in good company. I know I did. Be sure to rate and review, invite your friends along, and find out more ways to stay in good company in the show notes below. Until next time, remember to slow down and to savor the company you're in. Cheers, my friends.